My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I like to have, uh, have money in a good portfolio was the, was the only way really for someone from middle class Australia to make money. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with buyer's agent Oliver Jackson. Find out about how his upbringing and travels across the world in his early 20s led him to invest into property, the one renovation on the property he bought with his wife that made him a truckload of money, why he mainly buys development sites and much, much more. Jackson is a buyer's agent based in Victoria. A typical day for him is waking up very early before the sun rises and moves through a very hectic schedule from start to finish. Uh, so my day consists of I wake up at about 5 a.m. I'm, uh, I go to the gym, I do some yoga, um, I go to the beach, have a swim. Summer or winter, I, I still get in there. Um, I have a sauna. Uh, I wake my children up and uh, give them some breakfast. And then my day, my day starts with uh, with my business. It's um, yeah, a lot, I, I do a lot of emails and phone calls in the morning, and do some research, and then I uh, head off and do different meetings with, with different business partners or or clients. Gosh, that's an early start. And what time does your day usually end? Uh, you go to bed around nine o'clock. That's a pretty full day. You know, you've got quite a lot on every day then. Yeah, yeah, seven days a week. I've got two and a half year old twins. So it's, it's always hectic. Yeah, the idea of having the third one's good, but yeah, practicality yeah, it could be a bit hard. I mean, it's funny because when you go to the three kids, you end up having to get a second car, and, and all the logistics just get thrown out the window. Yeah, as soon as if they've all got friends, you're in trouble. Jackson grew up in ACT and spent most of his childhood and teenage years there. I actually grew up in Canberra, so I did all of my schooling career in Canberra, and uh, pretty much the week. After I finished year 12, I moved to Melbourne, um, well, I think 19 years ago now, and I haven't been back since. He tells us what he would get up to as a kid living in Canberra. Um, so I just went to the public schools, um, went to Deakin High and Narrabundah College. Uh, what did I do in Canberra? Uh, played a lot of basketball. Um, not, <laughs> tell you the truth, there's not much to do in Canberra. <laughs> I used to skate. I used to skate when I was younger, skateboarding. Um, played a heap of sport. There's not much more you can really do in Canberra. Caused a little bit of trouble here and there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Just hang out with friends and played sport. 
is uh, it's, it's a pretty small place, to tell you the truth. Jackson decided on his own that he wanted to move to Melbourne. I think I was 18. I uh, yeah, just moved down with a bunch of friends that lived here already. That um, that I went to one guy I went to school with lived here, so I literally just packed up and, and left. Moving at a young age meant that Jackson needed to find some work to make some money. I left uh, Canberra. I think I was 18. I moved to the uh, snowfields of Melbourne for the season. And then I moved to Melbourne and just lived in a house with a bunch of friends and did some hospitality some hospitality work, as you do. And, um, and then I, I got my personal training uh, certificate and was doing some personal training and some uh, and hospitality and kind of just, just enjoying being 19. Then he discovered traveling and that enabled him to enjoy the rest of his 20s. I got a pre-approval. Um, this was like 15 years ago. I got a pre-approval and I was going to look at purchasing and then I just I decided to do the travel the travel thing and just yeah, ended up ended up going for longer than I thought it was going to go for. How long did he go for? Probably eight years. As a very very good eight years, you know, to be able to travel the world, and that sounds amazing. I reckon everyone should actually do it. You know, you got to travel and hang out and, and you know enjoy enjoy life before you get too serious. I guess you need to take full advantage while you're young, according to Jackson. It's not as fun, is it, when you're older? When you're young, you don't really have many worries or cares. You just do it, and it's kind of like a life life experience. Jackson shares with us some of the places he has visited. So I did a fair bit of travelling through Europe, um, through Spain, the UK, uh, a bit of Holland and France. Uh, I went through the, uh, North America, Canada, a fair bit of Asia, the Thailand's, Japan. Uh, did some like a lot of South America in my late twenties. Did South America and Cuba and Central America. Um. Yeah, just kind of just kept coming and going. Like I only used to go for say a month, two months, three months, and then just come back, work, save up some money, do it again. Um, yeah, so it, it, yeah, I have to say it was pretty fun. <laughs> many people have asked, how did he manage to save enough money at a young age to go on these trips? When I was in my early twenties, you can kind of travel with not much money. You know, you meet a lot of people, stay on some couches. I think the first trip I did while I was 21, I, I did three months through Europe, Japan, and a bit of America. And when you're 21, you don't really care, do you? You just you, know, you, you save enough money, you've got enough for the flight. You kind of you save enough money to hopefully last you the whole time you're there, <laughs> and you seem to make it work. Uh, every time you come back, you realise you might just have to save a little bit more for the next time. Um, the last big one I did was was my honeymoon. It was I think I was in my late 20s. We did three months through Central and South America. So I obviously, you know, it was a bit older and wiser then. So we, we saved quite a long time for that. Um, but you know, the life lessons you learn is unbelievable through traveling. The people you meet. Wow. So what, which one's been your favorite country to travel to? I'd have to say Mexico, uh, Cuba, and I actually went to Vietnam a couple of weeks ago and that was the food in that country is mind-blowing. How's it compared to, to say, Vietnamese food in Sydney or Melbourne? Oh, it doesn't compare. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's because you're there, but yeah, the food. Yeah, it, it, the food in most obviously when you're in the in the native countries, it's just something about it. It's the local local love. Yeah, it's authentic food. It's 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 just naturally fresh. You don't have it all processed here. Exactly, and you're sitting on a chair in an alleyway. You're in the culture. It's just everything about it just makes the experience so much nicer. As a man of many trades, he tells us about some of the other professions he has worked in. 
with the personal training I did for most of my 20s, just on the side, I had like a little side business. I used to train a few people and have a few group sessions. And then from 25 to 28, I actually owned a cafe in the suburb of Turak in Melbourne um, with a friend of mine. So we ran that for about three years. And then I obviously learned a lot from that, running a business quite a young age, especially in hospitality. I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and then I ended up actually going into the construction industry because the, the money in Melbourne in construction is um, you know, pretty amazing, as you probably know. And I got, I got offered a job where I was going to make some really good money. So, and there was a good 10-year run in, in the construction industry in Melbourne. So we actually sold the cafe and, um, yeah, and I moved into the construction industry. Great. How long were you in construction for? Uh, seven years. During this time, Jackson decided to look into property investments and he shares with us when he started the process. It was about probably two years into it. I, um, you know, you make pretty, pretty crazy money in, um, in construction. So I thought me and my wife, she was my, wasn't my wife then, she was my girlfriend, actually thought we, we need to get into the property market soon. Which just and because of with my building background and her, she's from the artistic side, so her interior design is incredible. So together we um, we we bought a place in Melbourne um, and we fully fully gutted it, renovated it, pretty much did the whole thing ourselves, apart from obviously the electrical and the plumbing. Um, like I'd work all day and then we'd renovate all night, and we we. Yeah, we actually we made a heap of money. We still got that property today, actually. Um, so, so our plan was to actually stay there for the the, the long haul, um, and then we found out we were having twins, uh, so that kind of all changed, and we needed to to upgrade. So, as we were going, we kind of just built the portfolio just through buying. We used to renov- we've renovated every property we've had, um, built the, built the equity up, and then used that to buy the next place. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Oliver Jackson's detailed property strategy. The plan is for that is the future. Obviously, develop that when uh, when we can. And until then, we're just going to keep we're just going to keep buying, um, just keep buying units or houses. How they grew their portfolio. So as we were going, we kind of just built the portfolio just through buying. We used to renov- we've renovated every property we've had, um, built the, built the equity up, and then use that to buy the next place. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Jackson has always been driven to retire early and we find out where the inspiration came from. My mum just lives in the house that she bought and still lives there. Um, and my dad's, I think he's the same. I'm not really actually sure if he had a property portfolio. I've just always... Um, I knew I've always been driven to, to, you know, I want to retire early. I want, I like, you know, like nice things. I like to have uh, have money and a good portfolio was the was the only way really for someone from middle class Australia to make money was to work, put that money into something that's going to make you money. And property, as you know, most people in Australia know, is is a good way to build wealth. And my wife is on the same page. So yeah, property and with our backgrounds of me in the construction industry. And her in the artistic um, 
industry. It was together, we work really well together. She designs, she can walk straight into a place and just be like, this is what we have to do. And then I can do the, the physical side of things. We just work really well together. So we're just, we're just going to keep doing it. Since buying his first property, what else has he added to his portfolio? So we've got three at the moment, um, all in Melbourne. And the, 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 the house we actually live in, where we bought a 4,000 metre block in, um, it's in Frankston South Mount Eliza area in Melbourne. So the plan is for that is the future. Obviously, develop that when uh, when we can. And until then, we're just going to keep we're just going to keep buying um, just keep buying units or houses until we can uh, until we can yeah develop that because it's it's got a covenant over it at the moment. But that's that's up for renewal soon. So that's just like a land banking play, and it's a beautiful house. Just explain to listeners what what is the covenant and and how does that affect your property? So the covenant is um, it's they put it an overlay in our street. It's our street. So every property in the street is either half an acre or an acre, so four thousand meters. And to subdivide to subdivide it, the, the blocks have to be a minimum of two and a half thousand. So every three years, it comes up for re- renewal, and the council go over it and they decide if they're going to keep the covenant or not. So over time, obviously, they're going to have to lift the covenant because um, they're going to run out of room. Um, so when, so every three years, we'll just wait until the day they say that we can do it, I guess. Yeah, because I was going to say 4,000 square meters is a big, big block and you can subdivide that into numerous blocks quite easily. I dare say with the area that it is, because it's, it's a beautiful tree, beautiful area on the back of the hill, I dare say you won't be able to do more than two. They'll, they'll, they'll still keep blocks big, um, but yeah, it's still it's still a, a, an awesome awesome size block. So, just get our curiosity: how much does something like that cost to buy in Frankston? So that is worth about one point three, one point four million um, today. It was a recent purchase. I bought that in two and a half years ago uh, for nine hundred thousand. Jackson loves the area so much, he struggles to bring himself to subdivide it. Yeah, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful area. Uh, we love it down there. I, I don't want to subdivide, to tell you the truth, because I actually love it. But, you know, you know, things change. So, it's good to have the option later down the track. Jackson and his wife turned out to be the perfect team when it comes to renovating property. I think it was the fact that we could, we both felt that we could actually do buy the property and do, and do something to it ourselves. And we, net, we, we were sick of paying rent, basically. And we wanted to have something that was our own and we could add value and make it how we wanted it with both of us together. Like I, I could do the renovation, she could design it and she loves getting her hands dirty as well. I think we just felt that we could buy a property, make it our own and it's just, uh, I think it was when you, when you start to think we're going to get married, we're going to settle down, we want to have our own place, our own home. And together we did it and then we made some really good, really good money out of it. So we were like, wow, we need to keep doing this. Like, we need a bigger place now. Let's keep this one, get something bigger. And it kind of just flowed on from there. Inaction is a mistake that Jackson tries to avoid. Renovating doesn't always go according to plan. <laughs> um, but I haven't really had any, the only bad ones is not buying more. When I, when I had the, the borrowing capacity to do it or yeah yeah that's pretty much the worst thing you can do is not do anything at all um which i've helped a lot of friends buy and and renovate their properties and just me telling them you've got to do it you've got to do it 
you know, it's just not doing it is, is the worst thing I think people can do. It's overthinking it and just not getting involved. Property is always tricky and he talks about some of the challenges he faces when it comes to renovating properties. Well, the first, the first for me, it was like dealing with tradies. For someone who doesn't know how to deal with tradies, I'm sure it could be a nightmare. Like I knew, because I know a lot of different tradies being in the industry, I could kind of, if one of them was messing me around, I could go to another one where I'm sure with a lot of people, like a tradie says to you, I'll be there on, on Tuesday and then they go, oh no, no, sorry, Thursday, oh no, no, Tuesday. So there's one week where you've lost a lot of money because <laughs> he hasn't turned up and the next guy can't do the work. So it's the time management with the tradies and them turning up that can cost you a lot of money if, if it doesn't go according to plan. And then obviously sometimes when you're renovating, you change your mind along the way. So the one thing that I will say is if you're going to renovate, stick to the plan because changing your mind, that's your fortune. It's easier for Jackson to stay on plan and make less changes if it's an investment property. The investment properties we own, we've stuck to the plan because we're not going to live there. We just did it as a, a space that was going to work well for whoever's going to live there. It was going to be, but when you, we're going to live there, you kind of go, oh, actually, maybe I want this, but you don't realize until you get to a point in, in the renovation and then you're like, oh, actually, maybe we want it like this. And then that's the kind of things that cost you money because everything has to kind of change around it. So for an investment property, it's, a, it's much, uh, much easier because you just like stick to the plan. You don't have emotion involved. Taking some time to reflect, he shares with us one of his most memorable moments during his property journey. The aha moment was actually buying the first property, renovating it, finishing it and sitting in it and just being like, wow, we just did this and we made money. It was just like, this actually works. <laughs> this is amazing. To, yeah, to, to actually to see people doing it is one thing, but then when you've actually done it and then you've actually made money and you get to be proud of what you've done, is a, yeah, it's a pretty awesome experience. The first property was a huge success for them. A friend of mine is a buyer's agent and he's actually the one that got me into the buyer's agency world. He, uh, yeah, I didn't actually even know what a buyer's agent was until I met him. And he actually bought the block and we all, we all he bought the block and we all, we all got an apartment each. There's a, a group of us. So we renovated the external part of the block and then we all did our internals. So we got, a, I think it was $364,000 for a two bedroom unit with a massive, massive, massive courtyard. Um, so we divided it all up with fences. Yeah, mine was ground floor, yeah. So we put fences up, subdivided all the all the, the common areas um, and we gutted it. We pulled down three load-bearing walls inside it, really opened it up, did a massive deck. We we went all out. It was beautiful. We did a really beautiful job. And I think when I finished, it was worth about 600000 about six months later when I got it revalued. How long did the renovation take? I think the renovation took five and a half weeks. Um, I worked on it from 4 p.m. to midnight every day. That's a full time. After work, I don't think the neighbors like me too much. Um, and then, <laughs> and obviously had some trades in there when we needed them. I think it took five weeks. We did it pretty fast. Like we, we really wanted to get in there. And obviously, you know, the longer you're out, the more money it costs you. Um, yes, yeah, so I think six weeks. Uh, this was in, oh, this was a while ago now, 2013 maybe. I think it was. There are so many factors when it comes to how property is valued. Jackson talks us through some of them. I think, yeah, we, 
it, it was a good buy. It was it was bought well under market value um, because we actually renovated the whole outside of the building. So we bought the value of the whole building up, not just our apartment. So the the whole building value came up. It looked nice. We had nice fences up. Did a lot of landscaping. Plus the renovation we did inside, we really opened it up. We had the new big backyard. Uh, it was pretty rare for that area, um, and that it, it's in Ormond, which is a really good area in Melbourne. So with the good buying and the good renovation, um, yeah, I think it was just well well under market when we bought it, and yeah, the renovation really pushed it up. How many units was in a complex like that? Just curious. I believe that's twelve. So it was two buildings though. It was two buildings, six and six. That's still good. I mean, it's it, not that much um, in, in, in the sense to compete with as well too. So, there's, there's obviously not as much supply and, and more demand for that area because, you know, with apartments nowadays, you know, they're building hundreds of them all in one complex. So, it makes it very hard to sort of stand out. This is a 19, 1960s or 1970s building. It, it, it's risen even more in value since then. I got it valued five months ago. I think it was worth about 720 with the bank valuation that we just got. So, we've done pretty well. Jackson and his wife were already looking towards the future when they moved in there. We lived there for a, for a couple of years um, and then once we actually bought the other house and then the, literally a week after the kids were born, we moved uh, to the new house. So, inspired by Oliver Jackson's journey and his amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll unpack his property strategy in detail. I'm a fan of the buy, for, buy renovate, hold forever, use the equity instead of selling it and making you know some quick money, I'd rather hold on to it because they're all good assets in good locations and then just keep buying more. The personal habits which have been contributing to his success. I'm a pretty driven person. Like if I decide to do something, I, I do it full on. I get maybe a little bit psychotic about it. Um, yeah, I, I literally have had the same routine, morning routine for 10 years and I'm religious about it. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.